Students matter. And as Pastor just shared a little of my background, I, I was able to serve in the local church, Midwest, in the Seattle area for almost 20 years as a student pastor. God did a crazy thing in my life. I was just turning 40 and fully expected to stay hands on deck as a student pastor for, honestly, for the rest of my life. My daddy's a Baptist preacher, just went home to be the Lord a few years ago. When I turned 30, he's like, son, what are you really going to do? I said, I want to be a student pastor. I'd be like, why, why, why do you start to get good at what you do professionally and then leave? Uh, I, I, well, people think you can't relate to students. I thought my goal wasn't to be the coolest guy in the world. I thought my goal was to shepherd students. And I'm trying to be the coolest guy in the world, but I know my limitations, okay? So I'm not, all right? I don't have to be that guy. I just want to love students, take God's word and pour it into their lives and see them change their generation for Jesus. And so my dad actually believed that. As I got 40 years of age, I'm still a youth pastor. But wouldn't you know it, God does some crazy stuff sometimes. And he said, Rich, I want you to move from Seattle to Lynchburg, Virginia. So I kind of came back home in a sense where my wife and I both got our undergrad degrees and actually met, fell in love, was engaged. And then we were married in 1985 and started ministry Uh, from that point on, but we actually did the loop. We kind of went all the way back around. So for the next 16 plus years, I began teaching residentially uh, student ministry. And I had a young man who was a senior. Uh, He was a pre-law major, and he was a senior looking for one last class as an elective. And his name's Matt. You may know him. Um, And he took my intro youth class, which is mostly freshmen, but he took it as an elective And I didn't know it back in that year of 2010, somewhere in there. I didn't know it then. But as we reconnected two years ago, I then heard him tell a story that in his senior year, here he had this degree he was finishing out, and he took this one class as an elective, and I realized the trajectory of his life was beginning to change. And you are blessed to have him. So when I heard that story, I'm like, Dude, are you serious? I mean, it's like, wow, what a blessing. A few years ago, there was a pivot uh, in my uh, professional teaching career, and uh, the Lord began to put this on my heart to start this ministry called Next Gen Matters. So I come to you as someone since the age of 19 felt the call of God to shepherd God's people, focusing my heart's cry for this emerging generation we call teenagers. As a student pastor... First third, if you will. The second third, as someone who has been training and raising up future youth leaders. But now my real desire is how can I shepherd shepherds? I love meeting pastors. I get Pastor Lemming because my dad was a senior pastor for 40-some years. I was that preacher's kid. That's a good thing, too, by the way. Okay, I love shepherding shepherds. Who pours into pastors? And that's something God has really put on my heart. So hopefully I have another third left, all right? And that's what I see God doing uh, for the rest of my days. We're going to be taking a look into three passages. Don't tell a Baptist preacher three passages because then I get all excited and we'll be done by 1015, okay? I think it was 1045, right? No, it's 1015, okay. But I want to see us unpack briefly three passages as we're looking at this topic here. And we're going to unpack these three passages of Scripture for us this morning. That is my son, not the young man on the left, the young man on the right. I shared this with the parents in our session, which was amazing yesterday. Thank you, moms and dads, for being there. 
I shared the story of my own three children. I won't take you down that road as a congregation. I want to focus on the text. But we have three adult children. They're 33, 31, and 26 years of age. Just like in college, you may have heard the joke before, some graduate magna cum laude, some graduate summa cum laude, and some graduate thank the laude. <laughs> if you haven't heard it, it's yours now, okay? So there you can use it. Well, also, you know, just because my children were growing up, and Pastor, we did this. We, we dedicate all three of our children that we will do everything we can to create the culture of the gospel within the lives of our kids. Not because I'm Pastor Rich, but because I'm Rich Brown, a disciple of Jesus. Because I'm a father to these three children. And we have seen God work in the lives of our children now that they're adults. But they've all had different spiritual journeys. One would be asking me heavy questions at the age of four as I'm praying over him at night. For real, I'm not making this up. I'm, I'm on my knees praying over him like we do every night, tucking him in. He was an Adventures and Odysseys kid, if you know that, back in the you know, 90s. And he, he says, Dad, I have a question. Yes, son. He goes, if hell is real and hell is fire and hell is hot, how can hell be dark? The kid is four. Now, if you know Adventures and Odysseys back 20-some years ago, 30 years ago with Focus and the Family, I don't think Mr. Witt was talking about hell to the children. I wasn't at the age of four. I'm not afraid of the doctrine. Uh, it, Jesus teaches it, but at the age of four, I'm not dropping the doctrine of hell on him. I don't know where he heard it, but he had questions. And my point is this. He had this mind to understand God's word even young. I have a beautiful daughter, Spirit Fingers cheerleader. Social butterfly, okay? And I have our youngest. All three of them have had different faith journeys. And what means so much to me as I look at that picture is when we dedicated Ryan, we didn't know the tears that would come to our eyes years later. See, while well, my oldest had a desire and hunger to follow Christ, my youngest didn't at all. Try being in ministry when your child is respectful. Well, go to church, but in his heart doesn't want Jesus. And it'll break your heart. And honestly, and I have permission because he shares his own story. He shares his story. So I have permission. It's not kitchen talking, I'm telling out of kitchen. I watched God begin to work in his heart as a high school student. He made a profession of faith, but I saw no evidence of a changed life because when Jesus is in you, Jesus is in you. And it wasn't until his third year in college he approached my lovely, beautiful wife and myself, and he said, Mom and Dad, right in my dorm room, junior in college, right in my dorm room, I truly surrender my life to Christ. He didn't need dad to pray alongside of him because we created the culture of the gospel. He knew how to come to Christ. He just had to come to Christ. And he established, definitely established in a relationship with Jesus. What takes place within a year, his senior year in college, he decides to change his major again. That can get expensive. But I was all over this one. He his dad, called, God's called me to ministry. If I get a little mellow, I'm sorry, okay? <laughs> um, God's called me to be a youth pastor. And what's crazy is I knew in middle, when he was in middle school, I could just see it all over him. He was a natural-born leader, 
It says, Jesus, when, when he gets serious with you, I can see it happening. But I'm not going to manipulate my child nor guilt them into something. God has to call them. And God did. So now he's a student pastor, First Baptist Church. N.A. right there in that young man's jersey is North Augusta, South Carolina, Savannah River. You cross over James Brown's hometown. I feel good, Augusta, Georgia. <laughs> I share that because some of you may resonate with that story. It means a lot to me to see God work in my children's hearts. And now he, this morning, right now, is preaching God's word to teenagers. That's what we're going to look at, church. We're going to look at, we're going to look back, and we're going to look ahead. We're going to look at, we're going to look back, and look ahead. We're going to currently look at what is going on in today's student culture. Looking at what is going on in today's student culture. Now, there's a lot going on. But let me take a few moments to, uh, let me say, drop some statistics your way. Please check out the screens. In the United States of America... We as Christians are no longer the home team. I think we're aware of that. I'm a baseball guy. I grew up in New York, so I am a dreaded New York Yankee fan, okay? The pinstripes, the home team. As followers of Christ, we are no longer the home team. We now wear, in sports terms, uniform terms, we wear the road gray. You realize that. But realize this, that the majority of people who ever put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as the rescuer of their sins and the leader of their life, some stats, some research says 77%, others say 85%, so it's somewhere in there. The bottom line is three out of four believers, disciples of Jesus, come to Christ before the age of high school graduation. This is the most fertile, right here, this is the most fertile the human heart is open to the gospel. Am I to say that someone past 18, 19, 20 can never be saved? Of course I know that's not true because adults do come to faith in Christ. But statistically speaking, if you come to put your faith in Jesus Christ as the rescuer of your sins and the leader of your life, it's typically the response to the gospels when you're young. So the, the youth, this is the most fertile age, the most open they are to the gospel. This should be exciting. What Ecclesiastes, when Solomon writes his journal through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, remember your creator in the days of your, because there's an older man realizing I've thrown my life away for pursuits which are meaningless and meaningless. And if he was speaking at the D now, he would speak to teenagers and say, remember your creator in the days of your youth. But what's unfortunate, look at the next layer, if you will, on the screen. Yet only 4% of adolescent culture even identifies as a follower of Jesus Christ, as defined in the word of God, grace through faith in Christ and Christ alone. What's even more unfortunate, you look at the next box there, only 6 to 8% of adults now, now, throughout that George Gallup thing, 33% of adults say they're born again. When asked to define born again, the five basic core tenets of the Christian faith, 
The five fundamentals of the faith. You know what a Jenga tower is? These are, these are not secondary or third-level doctrines of the faith. Eschatology, things like that. I'm talking the core. If you take one of those five, let me call them those Jenga uh, bars, if you, if you take those out, Christianity falls. God, Jesus Christ, fully divine, fully human, virgin birth, dies for our sins, substitutionary atonement for our sins, resurrects from the dead, ascends, will return for us. The word of God is absolute truth, and salvation is only found, Acts 4.12, in his name and his name alone. And I've said yes to follow Christ. That's only 6 to 8% of adults. So that's looking at. So if you want to take your text and the word of God, please turn there to Matthew 9. I have it right here. But it's on the screen as well. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When they saw the crowds, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. You are probably familiar with this text. This is a Bible-teaching church. And if you attend here, you, I'll guarantee you have heard this text. And I'm also going to assume you spend time in the Word. Because we must, as disciples of Jesus, feed ourselves. And I'm sure, may I assume, that you've read this on your own time with Jesus. What's unfortunate is sometimes we see a text we're familiar with and it just kind of goes over our head. Let's not, that ha- let's not that have that happen right now. Let's look at this passage with fresh eyes. Jesus is going through the towns and villages. He's teaching in the synagogues, the hillsides, wherever people would gather and listen, he would share God's truth. He would meet their physical needs, healing their diseases and sicknesses. But when he sees the crowd, he sees them as a shepherd. He has compassion on them because they're harassed and helpless. Like sheep without a shepherd. I am a fan of reading the Bible through every year. I've been doing it since eighth grade. That's not arrogant. I just need God's word. And my, my daddy, the preacher, my daddy, December 31st, challenged our church to read the word of God through. I don't know who did, but his eighth grade and seventh grade son took up the challenge. And we just wanted to read the word. I've been doing it ever since. I don't regret it. I say that because just recently, I love the chronological Bible. And, and, and going through that, I just, just a few days ago, was reading the transition of Moses to Joshua. And y'all, that's where this phrase comes from. Jehovah and Moses are talking. They did that, you know. They were talking. <laughs> And Moses is like, I don't want your people to be like a sheep without shepherd. I'm like, that is so cool. That's exactly what Jesus said. The prophets use that phrase throughout the Old Testament as well. But think about our adult culture. Specifically now think about our student culture. Like sheep without a shepherd. Directionless and protectionless. Because what a shepherd is to do is to direct the sheep and to protect the sheep. And yet we see our current adolescent culture. I told them them this yesterday. 
I said, you are the most positioned of anybody to reach your generation for Christ. Because unfortunately, teenagers don't trust adults. Uh, adults have burned them. And that's unfortunate because as adults, we have, we have a lot of tread in our tires of life. We have a lot of experience, a lot of wisdom. And right or wrong, they don't listen to us because of the distrust. It takes longer for us to earn, can I use the phrase, street credibility? It takes a long time for us to earn credibility with them. But they are positioned to reach their own generation because they're already missionaries in place. Does that make sense? That's not to negate Titus 2 because older are to teach the younger. Older are to teach the younger. I'm just saying it's a harder journey. That's all. But I look at this adolescent culture and I would just challenge you to go to the mall. I got to stay at that wonderful hotel the last couple of nights at the Delta. Your mall's right there. Grab a coffee. Sit down at the food court. It's not, it's not stalking. It's not creeping. Just... It's called research. I'm serious. I'm, I'm, being, I'm, I'm actually being very serious. In my online class, I still have adult learners doing that. They just did it a few weeks ago. I know, I graded 40-some papers. I, I encourage them to go to, like, a mall or a local football game. Now it would be more basketball season. That's wrapping up soon. And please don't go there with a judgmental heart of, well, those unsaved kids should know better. Unsaved people, lost people act lost because why? They're lost. I would say just go there, get a coffee, enjoy yourself, and just watch. And let Jesus break your heart. This is what he says here. So that's the looking at. Now let's look back. One of those great um, relationships we love to study is Paul to Timothy. Paul to Timothy. So let's go to Acts 16. We're going to take a dive into Acts 16. This is when Paul is introduced to Timothy. Oh, I love this passage. I love this passage. You have your translation in front of you. I have the 1984. There's two NIVs. I have the, the old NIV. How's that? I have this one on the screen. This is where Paul is introduced to Timothy. I'll read. Please follow along. He, Paul, came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy, lived, whose mother was a Jewess and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in the area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And then verse 4, As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. That's just the chapter earlier, Jerusalem Council. 8049, when does Paul write Galatians? Right after this. Basically, because I love the chronological Bible, I'm going through Acts and I read Galatians between chapters 15 and 16, because that's how it's laid out. It's 8049, I say that for a reason. What's taking place here, as we see on the screen, we have Paul is rebuilding his team. You have the adult, and then you also have the young person. Barnabas, now Silas. Paul has team one. That's Paul, Barnabas, and a young man named John Mark, who is the younger cousin of Barnabas. That's 
Paul's first team. You may be familiar with that unfortunate, let's say, ministry breakup of the end of chapter 15. So Paul is now rebuilding his team because he wants to go back. He longs to go back and nourish the churches that team one started. So he joins with a brother named Silas, but there's no understudy. Do you see the inference of student ministry? There's no understudy to take the place of John Mark. So when Paul and Silas enter into these churches, where Paul and Barnabas and John Mark started these churches, Paul's got his eyes open. He wants to replace John Mark with another adolescent. What we see here is Timothy is called a disciple. Almost every commentator will say Timothy was about the age of 16. I just dropped a Bible date on you a moment ago. Acts 15 and Galatians is right about 80, 49. This is weeks, months after that takes place. This Acts 16 is 80, 49, 80, 50. Paul writes to Timothy later, mid-60s, 15 plus years later, and calls him a young man. Let no one despise your... And he's probably in his early to mid-30s. So you back up 15 years, Paul's, or Timothy's about 16 years of age. So he grows up in a divided home. His father's a Greek, it's a biracial situation, grows up with two different faiths in the home. Mama and grandma, followers of Jesus Christ, dad was not. That's why he wasn't circumcised. Make sense? So he grows up in kind of a, a almost like a confused background. Racially, religiously, and even relationally. Dad wants nothing to do with God. We know that because, again, he was not circumcised. It's kind of like, can you imagine? It's like, not my son, eight days old. He's not going to be a Jewish boy. He's going to stay home watching football with dad. You know, that kind of thing. So you have, at some point, dad, we see this in the, the inferences there, the, the few other bullet points here. His mother and grandmother raised him in the faith. We see that in 2 Timothy. His mama and grandma raised him in the faith. Something must have happened to his father. It appears his father was present when he was born because he wasn't circumcised. And yet dad was no longer in his life. See, dad either passed away or departed. Which makes some sense because you see what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 7 about the unbeliever who departs. That was happening during the first century. People were becoming followers of Jesus and that was impacting homes where a lot of unsaved people were like, I'm out. I can't deal with your new allegiance to Jesus. We don't know if his dad died or his dad just, can I just say bounced. We don't, we don't know. But Timothy grew up with mom and grandma raising him. May we also suggest that mom probably went home to live with her mother, therefore mom and grandma raised him. Does that make some sense? We see here, Timothy, I see it, is longing for a male relationship. Enter Paul. We see in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, and verse 14, also 2 Timothy 1, that it was the eldership, the church's elders, that laid hands on Timothy and ordained him and commissioned him to go with Paul. 
So there's a lot happening in those very brief verses in chapter 16. Paul is introduced to Timothy. The church speaks well of him. He has a good reputation as a teenager, y'all. The church knew Timothy. That means it wasn't the youth ministry always hiding away from the adults. That means this youth knew the adults, and it means the adults knew Timothy. So when Paul hears of Timothy, it says the church spoke well of him. You catching this? There was a connection. And it wasn't just mom and grandma that had this connection. We're, the church has become a business, folks. We're a family. We're called a body. That's the two metaphors I see in the New Testament. We're a family and we're a body. I taught two administrative classes. I get it. We have to be organized. God is an organized God. I'm a fan of being organized. But as we're organized, let's never forget we're brothers and sisters. We need to help each other. We need to be there for each other. And this mom and grandma raising this son, there were other people coming alongside. We also see number seven, Timothy now circumcised. He's now circumcised due to his Jewish ethnic line, which identified him now as a Jew. Because how many times would Paul go into a new city and first start in the local synagogue? Basically every city. If there was a synagogue, that's where Paul started. That was his initial entry point into a new city. Was to go to where people that were like-minded with him, that when he said God, they knew which God he meant because it was the Jewish God. It was Yahweh. And that's where Paul would start to begin building a church. Now Timothy would have absolute access because now he was circumcised. Question. Why would Paul seek to have a young man become on his focused ministry team? It doesn't say Paul was the, our terms today, student pastor. It doesn't say that. But I really believe the inference is there. It's an older man who wants to invest the kingdom into a younger man. And out of that heart, Paul writes later, 2 Timothy 2.2. Things I taught you, teach others also. Faithful men who will then in turn teach others also. It's the discipleship process of one generation to the next. For the rest of our time, let's look at 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy in chapter 3. This passage is what I'm going to call the, uh, the, matrix, the matrix of student ministry. It's the template of student ministry. Timothy knows Paul's on death row. Matter of fact, Paul even says that in chapter 4, the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Almost every commentator says it was three to four months after Paul writes 2 Timothy that he's decapitated. Paul was saying goodbye to this young man who is now in his 30s, whose only really deep spiritual male mentor in his life is now departing. Timothy's peers, Demas, chapter 4, has left the team. 
Timothy's watching his own peers kind of fade away from the faith. Ministry friends. His mentor is on death row. And I have a hunch Timothy's unpacking a lot of stuff as a 30-something about even back home growing up. Because we see he wants to quit. First Timothy, Paul keeps saying, don't quit, don't quit, don't quit. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, be strong, be strong, be strong. And then when we get to 2 Timothy 3, <clears throat> pick it up at verse 10. Paul says this, you, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kind of things that happened to me in, and he lists the three churches that are in Timothy's hometown. Iconium, Lister, Derby. The persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil men, evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But, I love verse 14. I say verse 14. I'm not sure if you're a circle person in your Bible. But verse 14 to me, is the essential core of student ministry. Verse 14, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, knowing those from whom you've learned it. Verse 15, And how from infancy, which means zero to five, it's pre-weaning. It's, it's, it's these little ones you just saw. Infant, the term back, back in the day was used for those who were still nursing. Pre-weaning. Zero to about four or five in that, in that culture. And how from infancy you were taught the holy scriptures which are able to bring you to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 16, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and instructing in righteousness, so that the man of God is thoroughly equipped for every good work. When I read this passage, I get fired up. What I see in here is Paul is reminding this 30-something, don't quit. And he begins to lay it out. I, Paul, church leader, I brought you alongside me. I discipled you. I, I had you come into my life. We were close. We were tight. I held nothing back from you. You saw everything I taught. You heard everything I taught. You watched how I dealt with issues. You watched how I dealt with persecutions. Timothy, you were by my side. And then he reminds him of his home life. What I see in here is a godly man representing the church, also referring him back to his godly mother and grandma that representing the home. And they weren't antithetical. They actually were partners. Verse 14, yeah, it's student ministry. I still love being with students. When I left being a student pastor at the age of 40, I talked to a colleague, third week of teaching. He said, how are you doing? I go, I miss it. He goes, what do you miss? I go, I miss being a youth pastor. Wednesday nights, I don't have a student ministry. I miss the students. I have college students now, but it's different. And I was told this, eh, You'll get over it. 
I'm still not over it. And I would tell for the next 16 years, all of my intro youth ministry students, that quick story. And I would say, if I ever get over it, I need to resign because I don't have integrity. How can I tell you that student ministry matters if I don't buy it myself? So while my focus ministry is now adult to adult, I do not turn down any chance to speak God's truth to students because that's what it's about. When I look at verse 14, I see this. There's four constructs, four key words here. The word continue. I shared it last night. Remember y'all? Sixth grade, eighth grade, 10th grade, 12th grade. That seems to be the four places teenagers begin to bounce. We lose statistically about 80 plus percent of our children before they get to high school graduation in the church. Seems like some of them don't really connect well with youth after they leave, you know, children's ministry. Sixth grade, they just don't connect. That's unfortunate. And then eighth grade seems to be that really big time. They finally go, hmm, is this my faith or mom and dad's faith? And they really begin to question. Because think about development. They're going from concrete thinkers to abstract. It's adolescence. They're asking good, healthy questions. Parent, please, if they're asking you good, honest questions, don't just tell them, well, this is what we believe. That's not teaching them to think. They need to own the faith. It needs to be theirs, which is what we're going to see. Paul says, Timothy, continue. Yeah, 10th grade, they start getting some freedom. They get their learners. They get their driver's licenses. They get a part-time job. They start getting boyfriends, girlfriends. They got a lot of friends. They got sports. They're getting busy. Do you hear where this is going? Church is now one of many options. And unfortunately, a lot of them begin to go, eh, I'm starting to tap out. And even sadder is seniors usually don't stick around. What's even more sad, not depressing you, please. I'm just saying this is the reality. A problem well-defined is only half solved. So now let's solve it. Let's close the gaps. That's what I'm saying. But unfortunately, even those seniors that stay strong in Christ and stay involved in the local church will even go off to Christian universities and don't connect with a local church. So we've got to see them, just like us, continue in the faith. Second point to, to, to mention here, what you've learned and become convinced of. What I say learned, I, th I think doctrine. Student ministry, local church, we must teach children and youth doctrine. What is right? We also must teach them how to critically think. That's a healthy thing. Not throwing away the Bible, but how do I learn to grow deeper in the word? How do I learn, you ready, to defend the faith? Not to argue about the faith, but to learn to defend the faith. What is right and how do I know it's right? So if all I do is tell my child, well, this is because this is what we, we believe, that's not teaching them to own it. They have to learn to own it. What better person to have a, a mental wrestling with your faith to talk with would be a youth leader or a parent? who actually understands you and says, let's walk through this. Let's help you understand it. Make sense? Paul says, Timothy, continue in the faith, the things you've learned and become convinced of, and I love this, knowing those of whom you've learned it. So as a youth leader, I know the following. 
I want to see these students continue in the faith. I must teach them God's truth. I must teach them to understand the apologia, how do I defend the faith, and I do it in the construct of a loving and caring relationship. You see that now? Josh McDowell. I was in my early 20s. I heard him in 1985 speak downtown Chicago. We lived in the area at the time at Moody Church. And he shared the following. My wife and I were just married, did not have children yet. But I put that away. Nowadays, I'd put it on my phone. Back then, I didn't have a phone. Just wrote it down. Josh said this. Rules without relationships leads to rebellion. You see, I grew up in the 1970s in a rather strict, firm, independent, fundamental type background. Don't question anything. I had honest questions about my faith. I was given no room to think. It was just, you do this or you're a rebel, and that's the sin of witchcraft. Did you guys ever hear that one? We were, I'm 59, just turned 59 the other day. Eek, it's happening, life moves on. <laughs> but I'm continuing, I'm continuing, okay. But here's the deal. We were the first generation actually being to walk away from the faith. Because we had a lot of rules, little relationship. Then you began to see the pendulum go the other way. A lot of relationship. Parents want to be their kids' best friends, you know, without rules. It's both. So in my young mind, I thought, I'm going to keep that in mind. Rules without relationships leads to rebellion. Then I began to take it and flip it. Rules with relationships leads to righteousness. It's just like John 1 describes our Lord Jesus. Verse 14, he was full of, you know this? He was full of grace, what? And truth. That's from Proverbs. Let mercy and truth be girt around you. Have a balance of both. That's what we see here. Godly, intentional relationships. Question. What do we learn in this passage? How can we disciple? Not just Pastor Matt and the team, but as adults, how can we connect and help and come alongside? And it may be that God's putting on your heart to have a conversation over here with that young man. You like that? I called you young. Is that good? There you go. And say, Hey, I want to talk about what's it like to serve in the student ministry. That may be something God puts on your heart. Or it may be something as simple as, I just want to get to know who they are and, and, and be, just be friendly with them. Everyone has a role to play. We want students who are genuinely saved. Look at verse 15. How from infancy, the culture of the gospel was created. So when that young man came to that age where he began to truly understand repentance and faith in Jesus Christ... Timothy said yes to follow Jesus, to create the culture of the gospel. And the apostle Paul says, which is able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. Then verse 16, the classic verse. All scripture is inspired, God-breathed, profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. That they think scriptural. They have a Christian worldview. It starts with them truly being born again, verse 15. They're thinking scriptural. And then, verse 17, they're serving Jesus. Not just through an event, which was awesome yesterday to have events. Again, I'm a fan of events. The church was born at an event. It's called Pentecost. God's not against events. But let's just not hop through our Christian experience event to event to event. It's just also not just hills, but what? Valleys. It's in between Sundays. It's in between events. 
How do we just learn, students, how do you learn to serve tomorrow when you go back to school? And we talked about that yesterday. Just making it a lifestyle. But sometimes I think we flip it. We want people to serve, and they may not even be saved yet. And that's just legalism. We want them to truly follow Jesus, know the word, have a Christian worldview, be in touch with God's word on a consistent daily basis, and out of that heart, overflowing with abundance now, Ephesians 2.10, I want to serve him. I believe if we in youth ministry will really follow this from the scriptures, we will begin to see the dropout rate begin to go away. Fair enough? Let's look ahead. Yes, I went to your Facebook page. And yes, I went to your church website. Once it's up, it's public domain. I grabbed it. <laughs> Looking ahead, there's pictures of your children's ministry and your student ministry. What can you do? Some thoughts as we begin to bring this to a conclusion. I have five, I'm a preacher, I'm guilty, P words, okay? Does Pastor Lemming do that? I know I do. Either spells something or it starts with the same letter. It's a gift or a curse. I'm not sure which, but that's how I think. So here it is. I'm guilty. Here it is. Five Ps. Here we go. Open our perspective. When we become aware, we become aware and interested in the younger generation. I have encouraged in every church context, and here I am, when I get this chance, I share this, and here I am. When services are dismissed, look for a teenager. Introduce yourself. Thank them for being part of your church. I would ask my college freshmen, how many of you would have adults in your church, not your parents or not immediate family friends, but actually do that with you? And thank you for coming and being part of the church. Very few hands would go up. I remember in Seattle, the ministry began to grow. Matt, we started with 510, went 1520, 25, 50 plus in a little church of 200. And bless her heart, one of the older ladies came up to me and she loved Jesus. Pastor Rich, I'm so excited to see all these teenagers here in church, but why won't they come introduce themselves to us? Did you catch that? Okay, y'all, what's wrong with that picture? You come to my house, I'm going to stay in the basement watching TV. You have to come find me. I'm not a, I'm not a good host. Where are the adults? They're not really that creepy. They only bite on Saturdays. Today's Sunday. No Chick-fil-A today, but they don't bite on Sunday. Okay. Introduce yourself. In our, in our, with Next Gen Matters, I do roundtables. Matt's part of it. And once a month we gather and just have conversations as youth pastors, youth workers. And our next roundtable, I'm going to tell them right now, is how do we create multi-generational prayer bridges in our churches? And youth pastors bring their ideas and they learn from each other. How can I be praying for you this week? Wouldn't that be crazy? This, all of a sudden, these, these students now know many, multiple adults in their church. 
different perspective, open up our passions. We must demonstrate genuine concern, connection, and compassion for them. Possessions. I'm not saying open up your bank account for them. I'm not, I'm not saying that. We all have to understand living within our means. I, I understand that. But I loved it as a student pastor when especially older folks would say, hey, can we, can we, I love this, can we buy Bibles for your big outreach event? One Sunday school class bought Bibles for our outreach event. Another Sunday school class said, can we buy pizzas, you know, for the event? Or we want to open up our home. We have this cabin by the lake, which sounds like a creepy, you know, movie on Lifetime or something. But we, we have this cabin by the lake, and we'd like to have, you know, maybe some of your teens could come over. All of a sudden now those teenagers are getting to know other adults. Do you see how this works? We're now a family. We're a body. Prayers. I just mentioned some of that. And even your personal life. Just getting to know them is so powerful. So let's pull this together. Matthew 9 teaches us that Jesus passed the urgency of reaching people down to his team. Harassed and helpless. He was teaching them to have vision and to pray the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers. And by the way, chapter 10, he sent them out two by two. So Jesus did answer their prayer by sending them out. Next point. Acts 16. Teaches that Timothy was a disciple of Jesus, was well known, highly respected by his church, and they, the church, commissioned. They laid hands, the elders laid hands on him, commissioned him to join Team Paul. Three. 2 Timothy 3, that both the church leaders represented through the life of Paul and the home were pivotal in both discipling Timothy to be genuinely saved, thinking scriptural, and ready for service. And then last, the church, this wonderful, wonderful family. By the way, I've told him, I said, you're blessed to be here. I, I, I see a lot of churches I sincerely mean this. Y'all got a good thing going on. <laughs> Praise God. Church needs to create the culture of connecting with our students and helping them connect to Jesus, to connect to you as the church, and being missional with their lives. We impact a lot. I hope that encourages you to have the heart of Jesus to see people that need Christ, get to know a teenager, be a champion for them when they get a chance to do ministry, like Acts 16, and then be so invested as you pray for them and connect with them and love on them.